almost anything is possible in the cold, dark, lonely hours following midnight on Halloween. That's exactly what you'll get in episode 16 of Prelude to a Scream. Silent screams bounce around my head like an impending storm, brewing into a force that will escape in a wild dance of chaos and be lost forever if I don't stop to write them down. Hello and welcome to episode 16 of Prelude to a Scream, podcast fiction by Mark Leslie. I'm Mark Leslie, your host. Just going to jump right into the story this time around. It's a Halloween tale called But Once a Year. Sit back and enjoy. But Once a Year by Mark Leslie. When the rotting corpse of Ted Winters stumbled into gas and stuff, the little entrance bell tinkled, and Harry thought he was either going to faint or laugh. But he did neither. Stunned, he watched it lurch toward the front counter with one flesh-gnarled fist raised to the cigarette display. Is that really you, Ted? The words escaped Harry's lips before he realized he was speaking. What a stupid thing to say to a corpse, he thought. But then again, what is the smart thing to say to the corpse of a dear friend? Ten minutes ago, as he sat there in the deserted convenience store and gas bar located across the highway from the Eastview Cemetery, Harry's worst fear had finally come true. While sipping from his mug of bitter, cooling coffee, Harry couldn't believe what he'd seen through the window. There was this figure walking through the fog among the tombstones across the highway. He'd thought, what fool would take a shortcut through the cemetery after midnight on Halloween? Then, as the figure stumbled to the cemetery fence and shakily climbed it, Harry recognized the fool. It was Ted Winters, a friend who had died eight months earlier and who'd been buried in that very cemetery. By the time memories of his dead friend, of the funeral services, and of the intense period of grief he'd experienced had filtered back through Harry's mind, the corpse had made its way across the highway and entered gas and stuff. And now, standing across the counter from him, Ted Winter's unfocused eyes frantically moved all over Harry. Ted? Harry said, again surprised he was even able to speak. You're dead. You can't be standing here. Slowly, the head of the corpse moved back and forth. The movement brought the stench of its rot to Harry's nostrils. Leaning forward, Harry threw up all over the counter the newspaper and his coffee. Ted, with his fist still pointing at the cigarettes in the glass case above the counter, ignored Harry's latest actions. Then again, Harry thought, the act of puking is probably quite uninteresting to a corpse. Once you've seen death, vomit probably seems not worth mention. The corpse's fist thudded down on the counter as if it were unable to hold the arm up for too long. Then it raised it again. Slowly, Harry reached up, took the brand of cigarettes that his friend used to smoke, and placed them in Ted's hand. The corpse's eyes rolled around in their sockets, the head pitched back and forth. The mouth worked slowly, and little fetid puffs of air blew into Harry's face. What? What? Harry started to yell the idea of what was happening trying to force itself to the surface. He's dead, Harry. He's dead, his mind screamed. He can't be standing there. Another part of his mind yelled back. He's dead, that's true. But he is standing there. Deal with it. Ted dropped the cigarettes on the counter and slouched to one side. 
At that point, Harry knew he had to just go through with this. He could deal with the impossibility of it, sort out the logic later. What is it you want, Ted? Ted's crusted lips worked slowly, and, as before, only soft puffs of air came out. The corpse lifted his hand to his mouth, his first two fingers forming a V as they came to his lips. Suddenly, Harry understood. Back when Ted was alive, he suffered from some mighty painful arthritis. It was so bad, in fact, that sometimes he couldn't even get himself his favorite thing in the world, a cigarette. When that was the case, Harry usually did it for him. Y you want me to get a cigarette out for you? Ted's head moved up and down. At one point, Harry thought that his head would actually fall off the way the chin sunk down into his chest and stayed there a long while. Harry took the package, peeled the cellophane off, pulled out a cigarette and stuck it into his own mouth. Then he grabbed a pack of matches and lit the cigarette. Ted's eyes got wider and wider as Harry did all this. Finally, he leaned forward and placed the lit cigarette between Ted's lips. Ted's wide eyes closed and the lit end glowed brightly as he inhaled. When Ted finished the cigarette, his crusted lips formed into a smile. In a low, gravelly voice, Ted spoke. Oh, that's so fucking good. I can't believe I went so long without a smoke. You have no idea, Harry. No idea at all. Harry almost fell on his ass. Instead, he slowly sank back down onto his stool. Okay, he thought. Okay. My best friend returns from eight months in the grave. He stumbles into my convenience store on Halloween of all nights. And instead of greeting me, revealing something spectacular about the afterlife, or even telling me how much he misses me, he mooches a cigarette off me, smokes it to the stub, and tells me how hard it was to go t cold turkey for eight months. What did you want him to do? The second, more logical voice in his head responded. Did you want him to reenact a scene out of some Night of the Zombies movie? The fact is that he's here and he's your friend. So what if he needs a smoke? You never held it against him before. Ted, I, I don't know what to say. How can you be standing here? Ted signaled for him to light another cigarette. Harry did so. Sorry that I didn't speak, Harry. It's just that I couldn't function properly, you know? Without a little fix. It took some time, I guess, to get things working properly. I was so stiff from lying there. So stiff. And when I got up, I was so much in need of a smoke. Thanks, Harry. Thanks. I'm feeling much better. A lot less stiff, you know. Ted, why are you here? How, how can this be? Ted puffed on the cigarette, this time more casually. I don't have much time, Harry. Just let me enjoy a couple of cigarettes before I have to go back. Back to where? What are you talking about? Back to my grave. I shouldn't even be here. If he finds out... Ted's eyes, now slightly more purposeful in movement, glanced out the window toward the highway. If who finds out... Harry reached for his coffee, but then noticed tiny chunks of puke floating around in it. He dumped it out tossed the soiled newspaper into the trash, and proceeded to clean the counter. Submersing himself in the mundane ritual helped slightly. Talk to me, Ted. Help me out a bit here. I'm dead, Harry. Dead. It means I lie in a box under the earth, and I rot. 
I have nothing now but time. Nothing but eternity to lie there and think. Think about all that I can't do. All that I'll never be. But once a year, it's my day. Once a year, we're allowed to move, to walk, to talk to each other. Once a year, from midnight until the sun comes up, we can get up and walk around. Uh, on Halloween? Sort of. Halloween is the evening before what is known as All Hallows Day. During the dark hours of the morning, we're free from death. At least as free as we'll ever be. It's like a romp around the prison yard. Then it's back into the box for another year. Do you have any idea how long a year is to a man who can do nothing but lie around and think? Harry shook his head. I didn't think so. Maybe in time this once-a-year business will seem more like a treat than punishment. But for now, death sucks, Harry. It really sucks. So you'll excuse me, I hope, if I don't sit around and chat politely. After all, time is everything now, and I've wasted enough of it talking. He paused and looked around the store, his head moving with more strength and confidence. Do you have any beer? I'm dying for a cold one. Harry moved over to the cooler and took out two beers. I still don't understand, he said as he returned with the beer and set one in front of his friend and opened his own. You you just lie there rotting? Does that mean you're going to hell or something? Ted shifted forward and leaned on the counter. Again, Harry could smell his dead friend's fetid breath, and it almost turned his stomach. There's no heaven or hell. There's only death. And death? is death. He paused and looked down at his beer can. And can you open this for me, my damned arthritis? Harry opened the can for his friend, who scooped it up and took a long, deep drink. Ah, that's the stuff. Anyways, like I said, it doesn't matter what you do in life. When you die, he owns your soul. He? Death. Death owns all the dead souls. Ted paused to take another long drink. He's got the monopoly on souls. He's like a collector, a taxman. Each soul is like a dollar bill to him. He keeps attaining more and more. Each individual is just another dollar bill to add to his growing fortune. He doesn't care which soul is which. All he knows is that with each death, he gets another soul. They're all the same to him, and he never loses. He just keeps getting richer and richer forever. Ted stopped talking again and fumbled with the cigarette package, until Harry lit one for him. Thanks. You know, if I could, I wouldn't go back. I'd do anything, trade anything to stay topside with my cigarettes. God, how I miss smoking. While Ted continued to suck on the cigarette, Harry glanced out toward the highway again. There, at the edge of the graveyard, stood a large hooded figure at least nine feet tall. The fog swirled around it as if it were an extension of the robe. After what seemed like an eternity of staring at this unmoving figure, Harry realized that he was wetting his pants. Uh, Ted? Harry asked, his eyes unable to leave the huge robed figure. He had no urge to even attempt to control his bladder as he watched it. Ted? Who the hell is your friend over there, and why is he watching us like that? Oh, shit, Ted said, stumbling backward. Oh, fuck! He caught me! Who is that? Is that him? Is that death? No. If you saw him, 
He'd be dead already. That's just our warden, one of his helpers. And he's probably so pissed at me. We're not allowed to leave the cemetery, you know. So what are you going to do? Ted didn't respond. Instead, his eyes remained fixed on the figure across the highway. Like before, his lips moved, but there was no sound. As if in defiance of the supernatural spectacle taking place, an 18-wheel transport downshifted its way into the service bay of the gas station. The rig completely obscured the view of the cemetery. Harry stood fixed in place, staring at the side of the truck. Then, more willing to accept the mundane, he stepped out to pump the gas. Fill up! The driver was already out and rounding the front of the truck. Do I need a key for the John? No, it's uh, around the side. Harry began to pump gas. The act of doing something normal and routine was helpful, as was the truck driver's matter-of-fact intrusion and gastronomic need. He didn't know what else to do. All he knew was that he was glad the gas tank wasn't on the cemetery side of the truck. When he filled the tank, the driver was back outside. He paid Harry and quickly moved back into the truck. Not wanting to be outside when the steel barrier between himself and the graveyard moved on, Harry hurried back inside and noticed that Ted was gone. He looked across the highway as the truck started to pull away. The fog swirled around the tombstones and through the fence. The robed figure was also gone. Maybe, Harry began to think, I imagined the whole thing. Maybe I was dreaming while half asleep or something. Then he noticed a lone figure attached to the back of the truck as it pulled out onto the highway. It was Ted, catching a ride. Staring out after the transport, Harry muttered, Well, I'll be damned. He's actually getting away. Let him go. A deep voice boomed through the store and vibrated in Harry's chest. He turned and felt his heart skip a beat. There, in front of the magazine rack, stood the robed figure, all nine feet of him, as silent and still as he'd been in the cemetery. Fuck! Harry muttered and shit his pants. I have no time to waste chasing him. The figure's voice rumbled. Your soul will do. But, but you're not deaf, Harry said, trying to back away. And I'm not dead. You, you can't. I can't. As he spoke, fog swirled from beneath the figure's robe. The store was filled with a thick swirling mass, and Harry couldn't see a thing. Seconds later, the fog cleared, and they were both standing in the grass. Trees and tombstones replaced the magazine racks, the shelves, the candy displays. But he can. For the first time, the robed figure moved, slowly raised his arm to point behind Harry. At that point, Harry remembered what Ted had told him about death, not caring whose soul was whose. A soul was a soul. And Ted said he'd do anything, trade anything, to be able to stay topside. A vice-tight grip seized Harry's shoulder and spun him around. He tried to close his eyes, tried to move, to turn the other way. But it was no use. As sure as his friend had died, risen from the dead, and then sold him out for the simple pleasure of a cigarette, he knew it was all over. Harry cried out as he stared into the face of death. So, there you have But Once a Year. Uh, but Once a Year was first published in Crossroads Magazine number 13 in October of 1995. Uh, as you can tell, it's sort of a satirical uh, horror story. Uh, I had a lot of fun writing it. My wife, uh, Francine, and I were driving through upstate New York one fall. 
this wasn't far from the town of Black River, where Ken Abner, uh, the editor of Terminal Fright magazine, lived. At one point, Francine and I passed a convenience store uh, slash gas bar, which was across the street from a graveyard. And uh, my mind started to take me to a fun place. I'd sent a few stories to uh, Ken, the editor of Terminal Fright, um, and he'd liked most of them, but my stories hadn't sufficiently raised his shackles. So when I saw in this area that Ken was probably familiar with and had probably seen at least once or twice, um, my original goal with writing this location-based uh, tale was to write something that Ken might find a little familiar and, and close to home. But by the time I finished writing the story, I didn't think it really fit the type of story that Ken actually put into Terminal Fright magazine, so I never ended up sending to him. And that's an interesting point to make, is just because I like a story and just because I think a story is good doesn't mean it's necessarily going to fit the market. And that's something that uh, I have to remind myself as a writer, is making sure that you do uh, the homework and ensure that the story that you're submitting actually fits the market. It's so much easier now that we're not mailing manuscripts, that, but that we're emailing manuscripts to just get a submission to to an editor. Um, but that could be the wrong thing to do if you don't take the proper time. Fortunately, back in the day, there was no internet. Um, or if there was an internet, it, was, it wasn't it was one in which you could easily send word attachments and things like that. Um, you may have had basic rudimentary email back in the early 90s, but nothing beyond that. So you would actually print off and submit your manuscript. And I found that that act allowed you as an author to take more time to think about where you were submitting it to. I think right now it's a little bit too easy, unfortunately, for editors to be inundated with submission after submission that has nothing to do with what they're looking for just because it's so easy for someone to click a button and send it. Um, but again, that's just me thinking about the importance of making sure you're submitting the right manuscript to the right market. Um, what I did end up doing is I thought, uh, when I finished this story, I thought that Pat Nielsen, and she was the editor of Crossroads magazine, and she's an editor I'd worked with on multiple occasions before, and I'd been reading the magazine for a while, I thought she would like it, particularly given her soft spot for dark humor. Uh, she also had a spot, uh, soft spot for Halloween and tales involving legends of the Crossroads. Um, I liked toying with the uh, evil nature of cigarettes and, and how they play a part in a blatant betrayal of friendship in this story. If there's any question about whether or not I was trying to make a statement about cigarettes and the tobacco industry, well, let me resolve it now. I certainly was. I, I kind of enjoyed the ironic title for the story as well, as um, at that particular point, uh, it had been a year since I'd had any fiction in print and uh, for two years in a row, they had been Halloween stories in Pat's magazine, Crossroads. So I thought it was kind of cute that but once a year, I'd been getting Halloween stories published. So I thought that was a, a cute little thing. In any case, um, it's many, many years later that I look back at the story and realize uh, it's not a bad piece of humor. Um, pretty uh, interesting story. I had, I had a good time writing it. I've had a good time um, looking at it again and reading through it today. Um, it is currently, as I, as I record this, it's currently uh, October 23rd, 2010, and, and I'm wanting to get this podcast up before Halloween as a you know fun Halloween treat. 
The story was reprinted, uh, of course, in the book One Hand Screaming, which uh, is still available today. And, uh, and I'm quite delighted now that I'm able to uh, record it and give it out for free. And hopefully, um, hopefully you find it enjoyable and an entertaining way to ring in Halloween or just enjoy the, the fun nature of a corpse coming back from the grave and betraying his dear, dear friend. In any case, this wraps up episode 16 of Prelude to a Scream. Fiction by Mark Leslie. Thanks so much for listening, and have a great Halloween. You've been listening to Prelude to a Scream, podcast fiction by Mark Leslie. This podcast has been released under a Creative Commons 2.0 non-commercial, no derivatives license, which basically means feel free to copy it as many times as you want and give it to as many thousands of people you can. Music has been provided by Kevin McLeod of Incompetech.com. Thanks for listening. Have a wonderful day.